Galatians chapter 3. The Christians in the area of Galatia were struggling with an important question. It's a question that every one of us should ask. And it's a simple question, how are we made right before God? How can we have a standing before God? Well, when they first got the right answer to this question, it was the Apostle Paul who brought it to him. On one of his missionary journeys, Paul came and and preached to the people in the region of Galatia and started several churches in different cities around there. And as these churches started, they were just rooted in the truth right from the lips of the Apostle Paul. And he taught them, we're made right before God by what Jesus did for us. Not by what Jesus did for us plus what we add on to it, but by what Jesus did alone. But when Paul left those churches, and he didn't leave because he was angry with them. He didn't leave because he didn't like them anymore. He left because he had other work to do in other places. God had called Paul to be a man who went around to different places to start churches, to get them founded, to get them rooted, and then move on and go someplace else. So when Paul left these churches and heard that later on false teaching had crept in, teaching that basically said, hey, you're made right before God by what Jesus did, sure, but also by what you have to do for God under the law of Moses. Well, Paul wouldn't stand for that, and he wrote off a letter to the Galatians. And in the first part of the letter, he says, hey, listen, let me show you how the truth is real from my experience of it in my life. But now I love it here in chapter 3. Paul's saying, I'm going to show you that this is true because of your experience. Because of how you experienced the Lord. Because of how the Spirit of God came to you. Look at it with me together. Let's go through the whole uh, passage here, and then we'll take it apart piece by piece. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Pretty strong beginning there, isn't it, in the first verse? Paul writes, and you know, you can see maybe he's pressing the pen a little bit harder on the page when he writes this. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. How'd you like it if the Apostle Paul wrote that to us at this church? Oh, foolish Simi Valians. He'd say, he must really mean something here. What, What are you saying, Paul? Well, that that word for foolish is very important in the original language that Paul wrote in. It it doesn't mean someone who isn't smart. It doesn't mean someone who is immoral. You know what it means? It means someone who has the knowledge but doesn't use it. Isn't that us sometimes? We have the knowledge but we don't use it. And that's what Paul is saying. Galatians, you're foolish. When I was there among you, I taught you these things. I gave it to you. Matter of fact, look how he says it. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? I taught you all this, 
But now you're being like fools because you know it, but you're forgetting it. And then he goes on to say, who's bewitched you? I love that word he uses, bewitched. Has the idea of a spell being cast over somebody. Now, he doesn't mean a literal spell. He's not talking about, you know, the TV show where the lady wiggles her nose and things happen. No, he's talking about something else here. The idea comes from, from almost being seduced, having your thinking clouded, having your, your mind not in the right place. And actually, it comes from the idea of putting the evil eye on something. You ever hear that expression, the evil eye? You know where, how it was thought of in the ancient world? It was thought that, for example, snakes or serpents could put the evil eye on an animal. And it could sort of hypnotize a bird or, or, or maybe a rodent with the evil eye and make that, that rodent stay still so that the snake would just kind of gobble it up. And you protected yourself against the evil eye by not looking at it. And Paul says, somebody's bewitched you because you put your focus on them. You shouldn't put your focus, put your eyes on Jesus. You'll never become bewitched, so to speak, in the way Paul means it, if you just keep your eyes on Jesus, because that's what Paul did when he was among them. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, clouded your thinking, clouded your mind, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. There's another word. I mean, we kind of focus on the word foolish. We focus on the word bewitched. There's a third phrase in verse 1 I really love. He says that Christ was clearly portrayed among you. You know what that word literally means? It literally means to be billboarded, to be set up on a placard or a sign. You know, think of driving on the road and you see a, a huge billboard and it's all about salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul says, when I was among the Galatians, I put up billboards like that all over the place. Now, again, not literally, but in his teaching, that's what it was like. Here's a billboard of Jesus. Here's a billboard of Jesus all over the place. I set Jesus Christ before you. He says, you guys are, are, are straying from that. You're taking your eyes off of Jesus. You're putting your eyes on other things. And you need to come to this understanding that it's really all about Jesus, not about something else. You know, it's kind of amazing. Now, these people were Christians, they loved God, yet they were acting foolish. They were acting as if a spell had been cast over them, and they were forgetting what was once so clearly portrayed to them. You know, Christians can do that. We can get off track. Some believers I know have wonderfully soft hearts before God. Isn't that beautiful? We want our hearts to be soft, so open, so accepting, so loving. But you know, what's bad sometimes is when a person has a soft heart and a soft head to go along with it. And that soft head won't stop and say, now, is this biblical or not? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Did you hear the latest teaching? Did you hear the latest thing? The latest move? Wow! You need to ask, well, is it biblical or not? Now, have an open heart. Have a soft heart. But have a thinking mind. Be like the Bible talks about the Bereans, who even when the Apostle Paul taught, they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things that Paul taught were true. Isn't that great? I mean, if people were doing that to the Apostle Paul's teaching, how much more you should do it to mine? To anybody else's? Search the Scriptures. Is this really true? It's easy to have our minds be too accommodating to wrong, unbiblical ideas. And, and, and sometimes we don't think things through to see if they're really true or not, according to the Bible. You know what that is? It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. 
And let me explain how it's a sign of biblical immaturity. It's just like a baby. Babies are pretty undiscerning. They'll stick anything in their mouth. Anything they can get their hands on. Crawling around, you know, finds a little corner of of two-day-old toast on the floor there. That baby will pick it up, wow, right into the mouth, right? Toys, tools, you know, whatever's around there. Knickknacks from around the house, if it's in the hand, it's in the mouth. Babies are undiscerning. They'll stick anything in their mouth. You know, the Lord wants us to come to a higher place of maturity than that, right? To be able to pick something up and look at it and say, now, does this belong in my Christian life or not? What does the Word of God say? Instead of just picking up and automatically putting it in your mouth. The Galatians, so to speak, were taking this truth that was not of God, and they were putting it in their mouth. Paul says, you need to take a step back and consider this and think about this. And then it goes on, it's beautiful how he puts it in verses 2 and 3, how he proves that according to their experience, they should know that it was wrong. Look at it here, verse 2, he says, this only I want to learn from you. Hey, just tell me this one thing, and this is what it is. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Remember that when the Spirit of God filled your life? Remember when you gave your life to Jesus Christ? The Spirit of God came upon you. You were just filled with the Spirit. Do you remember that that time that the Spirit just was poured out upon you beautifully? Now, how did that happen? Did it happen because you scored enough brownie points in heaven by your performance? Or did it happen because you believed it and received it from God? That's the question that he's asking for him there. Can, can you just picture it here? Here's, here's a Gentile in the church there. And he's told, listen, you've got to come under the law of Moses or God's not going to bless you. So he's like, okay, I've got to come under the law of Moses. I want to be right before God. What do I got to do? Well, you've got to become circumcised. Well, gosh, man, I don't want to, but I, if I have to do that to be right with God, I'll do it. I really want to be right with God. And so is this how it works? He goes in the operating room, and as soon as the cut's made, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not how it works, is it? It doesn't come by the law of Moses or by the works of the law. It comes by the hearing of faith. Some people think that you need to work for the gift of the Holy Spirit or earn this gift from God. or, or do, No, you receive it by faith. You believe God. You trust Him. You enter into this vital relationship of trust and reliance of God and ask Him for the Spirit and He'll pour it out upon you. The Holy Spirit isn't a prize that's earned through the works of the law. Oh, isn't that wonderful? So look at the answer there in verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And what would they answer? Well, Paul, it was by the hearing of faith. That's how we received the Holy Spirit. And then he'd say, fine. Now he makes his point in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You received the Holy Spirit by simple faith. Not... By earning and deserving. That's by the works of the law, right? Earning and deserving. But by simple faith. You believed God, and he gave it to you. It was believing and receiving. That's the key. So he says, okay, great. That's how you received the Spirit. That's how you made your your beginning in your Christian life. Now, how are you going to grow? How are you going to continue on to maturity? How are you going to find blessing in your Christian life? And you say, by earning and deserving? No, by believing and receiving. It's not by the works of the law, but it's by this life of faith, the hearing of faith. You see, the Galatians were deceived into thinking that spiritual growth and maturity could be achieved through the works of the flesh instead of a continued simple faith and abiding in Jesus. 
He got the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit, by a relationship of simple faith. Now, are are you going to go on from there, not by faith, but by trusting in your own obedience? I love the the broader point that Paul's making here, because really he's making a distinction that I love to make, and that I think people's lives will come alive to God when they understand it, and that's the difference between the principle of law and the principle of grace. When you relate to God on the principle of law, you relate to God with the idea of earning and deserving. Say, God will bless me when I'm obedient. So I need to obey him and store up enough brownie points in heaven, and then God will bless me. When I'm good, God blesses me. When I'm bad, God curses me. It's all based on my performance. That's a system of law. Now, that's the way that the Galatians were being tempted to think. Paul says, no, it's not about law, it's about grace. Under grace, we're blessed and we grow spiritually by believing and receiving. God deals with us on the basis of the covenant of grace. He says, I love you. I embrace you. Believe it. Enter into it. Here it is. Believe my word. And we need to just stand up this morning and be able to say before God, hey, we believe. We're not trying to live our lives based on what we can do for you. We're trying to live our lives on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And to live any other way, look at it, verse 3, it's foolish. It is foolish. It's a deception cultivated by Satan to get our Christian lives off track. He couldn't stop you from being saved by faith, right? But now he wants you to think that you grow and become more mature and go on to further things in your Christian life, not by faith, but by works. No, from beginning to end, it's all about faith. It's all about trust in God. Oh, and when we throw away that, when we start living our lives with God based on what we can do for Him on our own works, it's a dangerous place. Look at it there in verse 4. He says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You see, apparently the Galatians had, perhaps when Paul was among them, suffered at the hands of legalistic Christians. He says, are you going to make all that suffering for nothing? Or there's actually another translation that might be substituted here. It could be translated the phrase, Paul might be saying, have you had such wonderful spiritual experiences all to no purpose? In other words, you received the Spirit, you received Him by faith, but what good is it now, now that you're trying to walk by the law? Now that you're trying to walk by works? And so Paul says, listen, it's, it's the Lord who supplied the Spirit among you there. Look at verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He used that phrase before in verse 2, right? He's driving the point home again, making it clear to us, hey, which way is it going to be? Are you going to live your life by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You know that in your own experience... The Holy Spirit came to you by your life and relationship of faith and trust in God. So build it on that, not by on what you can earn and deserve for him. Now, this teaching isn't easy. You see, there's a lot of people who fear the teaching of God's grace. And they fear it for different reasons. One reason people fear the teaching of God's grace is they fear, listen, you go around teaching that my relationship with God is based on what Jesus has done for me, not on what I do for Him. That it's His grace, not my performance that does it. 
then listen, pastor, you just opened up the floodgates of iniquity. Then people are just going to go on and sin any way they want and say, hey, who cares, right? My relationship with God is based on, on what he's done for me, not what I do, so who cares what I do? I'll just live any way I want. You're not going to have moral, upstanding Christians if you preach this grace. It's like, you know, you open up the barn door and the cows run out. They're all out in the field. They're gone. You've blown it. You've opened it. There, they're just, you've messed up everything. What you need to do, they think, is you need to balance things out. Right? We've got grace on one end, and we've got the law on the other end, and you need to have a balance between law and grace. Let's find a nice middle ground. Can I tell you that when it comes between law and grace, God is very unbalanced. God's over on the side of grace. He's not looking for a balance between law and grace any more than we should look for a balance between truth and heresy. Who wants a balance between truth? We'll just find a place in the middle here between truth and heresy. No! Man, I want to be unbalanced on the side of the truth. And you say, but wait a minute, what's going to happen? You know, it's like you open the barn door, the cows are running out in the field, everything's wrecked, everything's ruined. No, you see, this is the great truth, is that when God pours his grace out upon a person, when we receive his grace by faith, it changes us. And so our hearts are changed. We're not the same people anymore. You know what we call it? We call it being born again. You're not the same person anymore. You've had an encounter with God's grace, and suddenly you have a love for God that you never had before. You have a desire to please Him that you never had before. You you have a desire to be with His people that you never had before. And sure, it's not perfect, and sure, it has to grow, and sure, it's never going to be completed until we're with the Lord in glory, but there's a change, isn't there? There's something that's happened inside of you that's different, and that's what God does to make us safe for grace. He pours out a change upon us when he pours this beautiful life of grace upon us. And so if you want to take that silly analogy, the cows in the barn, he says, yeah, I'm going to change the heart of those cows. They want to stay inside the barn. Doesn't mean you can open up the door. It's okay. The cows want to stay in there. And so they get out and wander around. You know what? They're going to come back because they belong in the barn and they know it and that's where they want to be. God does a change in the heart. And you say, now wait a minute there. You know, I I saw a person, they said they're a Christian. They didn't seem to have a changed heart at all. I'd say, are they really a believer? I don't know how you can have the glorious, life-changing grace of God be poured into your heart, be born again by the Spirit of God, and doesn't make any difference at all. No, there needs to be a change of heart, a change of life. And it's not something you earn. It's something you receive by the greatness of God's work in you. Isn't that beautiful? God has a safeguard. He says, yes, I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to bless you according to grace. You don't have to deal with me on the basis of law because I'm going to write my law in your heart. I'm going to give you a changed heart. I'll take out your stony heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh, as the Old Testament prophets said. That's one big objection that people have to grace. There's another excellent objection, too, that people make. And this was an objection that somebody raised with me right outside of first service, out there. And they just said, this is something I wonder about. What about this? And they said, I know that I'm blessed when I keep the law of God. How can you say that we don't find blessing, that we don't earn blessing by keeping God's law 
when I know that I'm blessed when I do keep God's law? And I said, you know, that's a great question. That's something very important for us to consider. And this is a simple answer. Of course you're blessed when you keep God's law, because God's law is the way we're supposed to live. You know, when you just do what God wants you to do, you find an inherent blessing within it. But God doesn't bestow any special blessing from heaven that you've earned by keeping God's law. Let me turn it around for you. It's not so much that you're blessed by keeping God's law. You are blessed to keep God's law. That's the blessing in and of itself. You're blessed to be able to do it. And so now you take a look at the Christian, they say it's a complete change of attitude. Instead of saying, oh, I have to get up every morning and read my Bible so that God will love me today. Clear that out. Get it out of there. No, it's now, oh, God loves me. I get to spend time with him. I want to read my Bible. You see the difference? Now, is there a blessing for that person getting together with God and reading their Bible in the morning? Absolutely. But they didn't earn that blessing. They received it. They have a relationship with God that's based on faith and that blessing of obedience just came down upon them and it flows and works beautifully in their life. Friends, it's not legalistic to be obedient. Not at all. It's legalistic to think that your obedience makes you more approved before God. To think that you're scoring points on God's brownie point chart up in heaven. And pretty soon I'm going to have enough for a merit badge if I just do a little bit more. If I just come to church five more times, wow, that's another merit badge for me in heaven. No, wipe all of that out of there. Friends, we have a free relationship with God. He says, I love you. Come to me freely. I want to pour out the riches of my grace upon you. Part of the problem is we get caught up into this performance trap kind of Christianity. It's sort of bred in us ever since we're little. You know, when you go to school and you, you, you're in the class, you have an instinctive knowledge. You learn it pretty quick. What do I have to do to get a good grade in this class? Right? You know the teacher. Okay, this teacher wants this. They want this. And I don't have to do these other things. So I'm just going to do the things I need to get a good grade. And you learn how to fulfill the requirements and please the teacher and get your grade. And that's it. And you learn how to do it with people, right? What can I do to please this person? You want to please them? You want to get that approval? Fine. In your relationship with God, living that kind of life, it's like a hamster on a treadmill. You're always, always around. I want to get the approval of God. I want to get the approval of God. So I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. No. You want the approval of God? Get off the treadmill. Get down on your knees before Jesus Christ. Say, I receive it, Lord. I put my eyes on Jesus Christ. He is my approval before God. I don't have my own... He is my approval. He is my place before God. I just want to be seen in Christ. He's it. Oh, what a peace. What a change. What a transformation will come about in your life. I mean, I remember when these things started sinking down into my life for the first time. I found a lot of it in a wonderful commentary I read on the book of Romans when I must have only been 18, 19 years old. Commentary by a man named William Newell. Romans verse by verse. And in it he talked about the principles of God's grace. And how under grace, I'm not on probation before God. I don't have to wait for him to accept me. If I'm in Christ, I'm accepted. And then the transforming work that it does in our life to to make us want to obey him and serve him. You can get off that treadmill right now. 
Say, oh God, I want to start making progress with you instead of running on a treadmill. I want to live by your grace. I want to walk by faith, not by sight. You can have that kind of glorious life with God this morning. But listen, what it does is you need to do the same thing that the Galatians need to do. Look at verse 5 again. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How are miracles done? Because somebody stored up enough brownie points in heaven to where they can get a miracle merit badge? No! Miracles are done by trusting in God. Now, not that we can demand a miracle from God, but we can trust Him for one. We can trust a loving Father in heaven to to do miraculous things. Same thing with receiving the Holy Spirit. It's not that you've earned Him. He's given to you freely by faith. And so, friends, which is it going to be? Is it going to be based on earning and deserving blessing from God? Is it going to be based on hearing by faith and, and believing and receiving wonderful blessing from God? That's the key for us. Now, I think that this speaks in a powerful way to two different groups of people. And I suppose in some ways, maybe just about everybody here falls into one of these two categories. You have those people who don't see very much blessing in their life. Okay? Honestly speaking, you're just not very blessed. You wish God would bless you more. You walk around thinking why God blesses them and why he doesn't bless you. And you've thought it was, well, God's angry with you. God's irritated with you. He's annoyed with you. You've been acting up again, and he's just annoyed with you. And what you've got to do is start, you know, living good enough, enough brownie points and all, and then God will, will bless you again. No. You know how you receive blessing from God? It hasn't been because you've lacked devotion or because you haven't earned it enough. It's because your expectation and your faith is in something else. You're expecting the blessing to come from yourself or from somebody else. Trust in God. Believe in Him. Believe. Stop trying to do things to earn blessing. Believe. Trust God. Love Him. Put your focus on Jesus Christ. He's been billboarded in front of you. Put your trust and your focus on that. Make your joyful, confident expectation in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and believe that God wants to bless you every day. Every day. Why shouldn't He? You're his child. He loves you. That doesn't mean that, you know, okay, Lord, great. Now I'm going to run out and buy that lotto ticket. Lord, I'll just trust that the blessing comes through that. No, God knows how to bless you, not curse your life with unwise and unnecessary things. So let him bless you. He knows what to do. And expect joyfully blessing from God every day. So that's to the, those people who seem to lack blessing. What about those people who are wonderfully blessed? Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You say, man, I'm wonderfully blessed. God's better to me than I could ever, ever hope to deserve from him. God's so good to me, this is great. Well, there's a word to you in this too. And the word is simply this, if you're wonderfully blessed, if you're proud over your blessings, then you're blind. Then be, for some reason, you believe you're blessed because you've earned it, because you've deserved it, and you're off track. You're blessed because of the goodness of God, because of the greatness of Jesus Christ. You haven't earned your blessing. Why should you take pride in it? All the more reason why you should put your trust in Jesus and set your expectation on him. I think that covers just about everybody. The people here who want to be blessed more, the people who know they're blessed and thank God for 
God lifts us up to the same place and says, let's set our eyes on Jesus Christ. It was so beautifully billboarded in front of us. That's two applications for us to end with this morning. Now, I trust that this morning has been a special word to some people who have been living that kind of performance trap relationship with God. Won't you reach out to God as I pray this closing prayer and say, Lord, I want it to be different. I renounce my own efforts to make my way before you, and my trust is in you. It can start a radical change, a glorious revolution in your walk with him. Let's see what the Lord will do as we pray together before him. Let's come before his throne. Father, I pray, and I pray especially, Lord, right now, for people here this morning who have been caught in that idea that they have to earn their way before you. Lord, set us free from that. Lord, we don't want to be in that place where we believe that we can and we should earn our way before you. Instead, Lord, we want to know the the peace and the joy and the security that comes from knowing your grace and knowing its work in our life. Father, won't you pour out your spirit on seeking hearts tonight We're reaching out to you right now this morning in simple faith, God. Simple faith before you. We set aside any effort to earn our way before you. No, Lord, we come by simple faith. So bless seeking hearts this morning, Lord. Set our focus and our hope and our expectation on you. Let this be a life-changing morning for some troubled hearts. Break through and set people free. In Jesus' name.